The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, host of the What to Know uh, podcast show and CMO of W2O, and I am joined today by a friend and a special guest, and we're going to actually have a lot of fun, and I'll uh, let her tell you more about it, but her name is Lisa Kalfas. She is the head storyteller and VP of marketing at Wenty Family Estates. It's uh, an amazing vineyard over in Livermore, which is close by in the Bay Area. We're here in the office today at W2O, but uh, one of the things that Lisa teed up is she, I think it was like maybe a couple months ago, said, hey, would you be open to turning the tables and letting me interview you? Uh, and I thought, wow, that would actually be really interesting. I still would like Blair, who edits all these, to do this sometime too. So Blair, don't be jealous. Um, but I know that you're in Austin, so we haven't had a chance to do this as much. So first of all, welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Aaron. Pleasure and, to be here. Yeah, and thank you for like, I, I, I've really thought a lot about this, and I'm really excited to do this. Um, mainly because I get to ask people questions all the time. But I would love to tell people a little more about myself, right? Because I know a lot of the folks that listen, I'd say probably at least half of them know who I am. Uh, the other half hopefully have discovered this show. We've had some amazing guests. But we're going to make this a little bit of a joint interview because I do also want to ask you some questions. And I can't help the um, the moderator and uh, host in me will probably curiously want to be able to ask you questions as well. So with that, Let's, I'll let you take it away, and then we're going to have a fun dialogue, and uh, people will learn a bunch of stuff about me and stuff about Lisa, and we'll go from there. Great. Well, thank you for being open to turning the tables. I just thought that you have done a lot in your life and certainly appreciate so much the What to Know podcast that it was important for your listeners to also hear a little bit more about your story and have that inspire them in new ways. So thanks for the opportunity to do this. Of course. And I really thought that, you know, it would be great to start by you sharing a little bit more of your background and your story. I thought that it's very interesting that you have a degree in Russian studies and we've, you know, got to know each other both professionally and also personally, but that I didn't know about you. Um, and you've had, you know, kind of a luscious career in, in marketing communications, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what your background was and kind of how it brought you to your role here at W2 today. Sure. Um, I tell people jokingly, it's there's a long version and a short version. So I'll try to do more of the short version since the long version can take a while and we want to get to other topics. Uh, there are a few critical paths that sent me down sort of the direction I went. And so one was we had uh, my mother had a Norwegian exchange student in her house in Wyndham, Maine. And this is back in the 50s. That was fairly unusual I think in general in the United States, they have exchange students and particularly in little old Wyndham, Maine, just north of Portland. And that had an influence in the sense that um, Inger spoke several languages and she had children that were the same age and sex split as myself and my brother and sisters. And so I ended up taking French lessons with their son, Eric, who's still a good friend of mine, lives in Norway now, and ended up taking French for, I don't know, probably eight or 10 years between the lessons there and then doing French lessons in Boston and then taking French in high school. And it was actually, I had a teacher, Miss Layton, 
one of the most challenging teachers I ever had. I disliked her immensely in the moment, but I realized in retrospect that she actually was one of the much needed things in my life because she realized that I was a relatively smart fellow, but I could be a little lazy at times. And so she really put my nose to the grindstone. So I got out of high school having this language background. I'd done a year of Latin as well. I felt like if I wanted to do any more with French, I probably needed to go to France to study. Um, there are worse places to go, but it wasn't really my cup of tea at that time. Um, the other sort of sidetrack, which is important, is my dad was a computer programmer by trade early days. And so we always had a dumb terminal. This is, you know, people who don't know what this looks like. Think of like a big heavy suitcase. That was the computer. And you jam a phone into the back of it to actually connect to a mainframe. And you'd have thermal paper that would come out of it. And I used to play Dungeons and Dragons on there. And I learned basic programming and uh, a program called Basic and a little bit of Pascal and things like that. So I started life off as a little bit of a tech nerd. Fast forward, I went to UMass Amherst. I was pretty good at a lot of things. So I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to major in. So I took a bunch of classes, writing classes, economics, et cetera. But one of the classes I decided to take was Introduction to Russian. And so I thought it was interesting. And for anyone, you know, under the age of 35, maybe 40, Russia at that time, so this is, I'm dating myself a little bit, but I went to UMass, 86 was my freshman year. Russia then was a little bit like China was five years ago, where all of a sudden it started to open up and it looked like there were going to be lots of opportunities. There's a guy named Gorbachev, who is the premier. He introduced these uh, policies called Glasnost and Perestroika. Rebuilt, you know, Perestroika is rebuilding. Glasnost is openness. And so I thought, you know, maybe what I'll do is I'll just learn Russian. I'll study and then, you know, sort of do something business oriented and maybe end up working over there for a joint venture. So I ended up taking all these courses. I really liked it. I actually spent a summer over there. The first go around was the Soviet Union. So I was in Leningrad. Um I got done with UMass and realized that I still probably needed more language and history and economics uh, teachings, and so applied to Georgetown and Johns Hopkins. Georgetown let me in. Johns Hopkins didn't. Uh, so I went to Georgetown, which is one of the best language schools you could go to, and spent a couple of years there. Um, while I was there, I got uh, distracted by a woman that I was dating at the time, and so ended up... Um, being two courses shy of finishing my graduate degree, so my master's degree. So you'll hear a few things that people don't know about me. That's one that I, I do try to be clear about. And uh, I, I ended up moving up to Boston. And at that point in 1991, so after the second, uh, the, 1991, the wheels fell off the Soviet Union and it now was Russia and all the republics. Uh, I went back in the summer of 92, and it was amazing, but it was a little bit the Wild West. So I moved back up to Boston, so I'd been in D.C. Um, I felt like I needed a break, worked at a restaurant for a while, and then actually picked up a couple of contracting gigs, one of which was doing databases, which I had learned as my sort of de facto IT guy in any of my office jobs that I had. And uh, did that for about a year. And the woman who's our VP of marketing, her name was Deb Pappas, 
approached me at one point in time as my contract was winding down. She said, my parents run a small direct marketing agency. This story's almost over, by the way. No, I, I said short, but imagine what the long one sounds like. Uh, she came and said to me, I know that uh, you have good technical skills. My parents run a direct marketing agency. They just lost their lead account person. He was kind of their IT guy too. Uh, they can teach you how to be an account person if you are willing to go and be the IT guy. So I accepted. It was a small agency called Bombachi Mitchell. This is just as the sort of web was being born and you know turning into things. So I went there, taught myself HTML, taught myself Photoshop, uh, and they were really nice and they were smart people, but they weren't ready to go sort of as fast as I wanted to go. So I ended up going to Fidelity Investments and then did nine years there and did all sort of way, shape, and forms of online marketing. So some of their first banner advertisements, uh, email marketing, websites, intranets, all that good stuff. And that was the thing that just took me down this path of loving marketing. So I backed my way into it. Um, I don't regret my days, you know, studying Russian and Soviet studies and learned, you know, met a lot of interesting people, some of which are still great friends. But it really sort of set me off on a path of, you know, anything is possible. So you asked and got more than you bargained for on that one, Lisa. No, that's great. And then I also would love to know with all of that, once you really started to get into marketing communications, what brought you to here at W2L? Yeah, so I'll keep this one shorter. Um, I mentioned I did nine years at Fidelity, four years in their in-house agency, and then five years on the online marketing side, uh, digital side. So this was 19, uh, I'm sorry, this is 2006. I'm realizing that social media and blogs and podcasts are kind of the next big thing that's coming down the pipe when it comes to digital. And Fidelity, they've always been very progressive, still are very progressive, but financial services is a more conservative space, just like healthcare is a more conservative space, heavily regulated. So I knew that they weren't going to get to where I wanted to get to as fast as I did, theme of my life. So I left and went to a startup called uh, Mazinga. It was originally called Shared Insights, but there were about 25 people. And the thesis by this guy, Barry Liebert, was he wanted to bring online community and offline community together. So online community was the thing that sort of predated Facebook and some of our other sites that we have today, um, even though they were kind of in the midst of being born. And then he bought an event company and wanted to sort of take the events and bring them online as well so people could have a 365, 24-7 set of conversations if they wanted to. But there was an importance to meeting in person. So I did that for two and a half years, decided I was ready to be done with the cold of the Northeast, went to Austin, did a similar position for a company called Powered. We got acquired by a group that ultimately became Sprinkler, which some people may know now. And uh, when we got acquired, I could have stayed on, but I knew a few people at W2O, uh, Greg Matthews, Chuck Heeman, Sidney Williams, Bob Pearson. And so I decided to kick the tires, thought eh, it'll be a good place to be for a year or two. Almost nine years later, here I am and running marketing. And I've had you know, a dozen different jobs here, but have really loved seeing the evolution of, and, and I think just to bring this all home, I've been able to bring the best of sort of the old and the new. Um, so direct marketing from my early days, I've learned comms sort of from the ground up, um, taking thought leadership and in, in over the last year we've been implementing CRM using Salesforce marketing automation. So I'm really trying to take the best of all disciplines because I do feel like today's marketer really does need to do this. And with, actually, I'm going to turn around and get your thoughts, but I do feel like, you know, it's important to storytell, to have thought leadership, 
but also to have that discipline of being able to measure, being able to do it surgically to get in touch with the audience as you want to. So with that, I guess let's ask a little bit about how you got into marketing and what your approach is and, you know, is it different or similar? You're nodding your head a little bit, which the viewers can't say or the listeners can't see, but um, tell us a little more about your journey. Sure. So my journey started right after college where I did go right into marketing. I went to Emory University in Atlanta and there I really had this passion for both um, art and psychology. And I studied both in college and I really appreciated photography and that kind of side of being able to capture people's emotions in the moment. And psychology for me was super fascinating and interesting to understand human and consumer behavior. And when I started to really realize, well, what could a career look like in psychology? For me, I realized that I really wanted to be around more people. And industrial psychology for me wasn't the right field, which was the one way I thought that maybe you could kind of integrate the two. And that really led me to advertising, which I felt was kind of a combination of the two. You have to understand a lot about consumer behavior and it has to also be quite creative. And ultimately from there, I really appreciated more the broader set of marketing because you can really have both sides. You have to absolutely be creative and understand the emotional connection with people, but then you have to be analytical in order to be a truly effective marketer. Can I just point out a much more logical path to becoming a head of marketing versus mine? So kudos for uh, taking a little bit more of the obvious yes. path there. That's okay. But I think, you know, one of the things that you clearly have also um, focused on in all of your career in communications is the power of content. And that has showed up in many different ways for you, being an author, being a blogger, certainly being very active on social, which I appreciate following you on Twitter, by the way. And I think that you know now um, with this podcast being a different medium to kind of get a message out there, I'd love to hear also what inspired you to start this. Yeah. So um, I mentioned that when I left Fidelity, I joined a company called Shared Insights, ultimately Mazinga. And one of the things that was that attracted me to the company and to this guy, Barry Liebert, was the fact that uh, he was working on a project called We Are Smarter Than Me. And the idea was to tap the community to write a book. Didn't work as perfectly as we wanted, but it was a really interesting experiment. And what I liked about it was it really got me thinking outside the box and the ability to tap into the wisdom of crowds, which wasn't a completely novel idea. And so one of the things that I started, and you and I were talking about this in our preamble, was that uh, I knew that blogging was important, and I knew that I didn't really know how to do it, but I just jumped in and got on to Blogspot, which was sort of the medium of choice. Um, and in doing that, I also realized that maybe I should start my own podcast show. And so the first podcast I did was called The We Show or The We Are Smarter Than Me Show. And all of the subject matters, you know, people like Craig Newmark and Angie of Angie's List and all these different people uh, were people that I decided those were the folks that I was going to interview. And so I did that. And one of the other people I interviewed early days was a guy named Michael Arrington, um, who founded TechCrunch. Uh, brilliant guy, kind of a prick, but um, he was actually very nice on the show. And it was funny because I was, as I was saying, I like to, to use, which is, um, it's like a long tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. And you could tell I was definitely 
nervous on on the call. I had met him at a, at an event, but uh, toward the end of it, he's like, Aaron, just take a breath, relax. Like we can do this. And it's so funny because we ultimately edited that piece out. But I ended up doing a blog after the fact and just talked about how much I appreciated that and the fact that he recognized that. So you know, we did that show. I did that probably for I guess a couple of years while I was there. Started a new show called The Quick and Dirty with um, my friend Jennifer Leggio and then ultimately Kyle Flaherty. And we did that on Blog Talk Radio. So that was a live format, which adds a challenge to it. Did them from all over crazy places like driving in cars, sitting in parking lots, things like that. And then I did a video uh, podcast called Live from Stubbs. My most famous guest there was Al Roker, and that was a lot of fun. Um, also interviewed uh, Lord Huron, the band, who uh, was also a lot of fun. But I realized after doing that for a while, video is hard. It's expensive. You have to really be buttoned up. You can't look at no. I mean, you can look at notes, but it's not as exciting if you do. You have to really be on your game. You can't be looking you know, pale or pasty. You have to make sure your clothes match. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to hang that up for a while. And then Jim Weiss, who's our CEO now, uh, I guess this was probably two and a half years ago. He's like, why don't you think about doing a podcast again? And we talked about the format and I said, OK, you know what, I'll, I'll give it a go. And this is right around the time that um, what was the famous podcast that came out? Serial, right? Uh, that really started to inspire people to get back into it. And now it's blown up in one of the most popular media but uh, I really enjoyed the show. I started it and kicked it off at John Battelle's Shift Forum here in San Francisco almost three years ago. And I had the luxury of interviewing Tyler Florence and um, uh, se- several other like amazing speakers that he had there that he helped line up. And from that, I've, I've you know done the podcast now for, uh, like I said, almost three years. Well, thank you for that, because we certainly enjoy listening to it. And some of the things I think you even just shared were things that excite you and that you've kind of appreciated and had a lot of fun with. I'd love uh, to also just hear a little bit more about what some of your passions are in life and kind of how that's, you know, kind of led you to um, really kind of uh, working on what your calling is. Yeah. uh, When I read this question, It's funny you ask these questions all the time and then to actually have to answer them yourselves. I've had a few guests that have turned things around on me. Um, I think Katie Couric did that for me with the album question, which was fun. But, you know, the things that are most important to me that I'm the most passionate about are my family. And I really have worked hard to invest in my family, both my wife, my kids, my extended family. Uh, I love barbecue and I love to smoke. So anyone that follows me on any of my social channels have probably seen some of the the work that I've um, produced and we're in the process right now of doing an outdoor kitchen, which I couldn't be happier about because I love to cook in general. And um, so I like to do that. I do like to write. I realize I wrote a recap of the health conference last week and that was one of the first blog posts I'd done in a while and I really enjoyed doing that. Um, I really... I enjoy reading. I don't do it as much as I'd like. I just read this book, Educated, which we'll talk about in a minute. Loved doing that, and I realized just how much I love to read. And that was one of my commitments, by the way, is for Make Time, which we'll also talk about, was to read more because I really do love especially physical books, right? And then I guess lastly, um, I like what I do at work. You know, we our tagline is making the world a healthier place through marketing communications. 
And that's a newish one, but I think it's one that's going to stick for a while. And I like knowing that the things we're doing across the health and wellness space really do make a difference. And that's, by the way, one of the reasons why I think we really gelled, particularly on the Make Time project that we did and movement that we we supported um, that you all you know so wisely kicked off, is I, I feel like that Make Time mental wellness, really thinking about and thinking about being healthy holistically is so critically important. And I know, you know, there are a lot of things that help make healthcare work. I do feel like increasingly doctors are realizing the more we can focus on wellness and then, you know, treat things as they come down the path, but being proactive versus reactive. That's really a great way to be in the world. And if you can start with that approach, good eating, you know, clean living, exercising, all those good things that it does lead to making a much healthier being and a much more complete being. I love that because that is very clear in terms of how you believe that the work that you're able to do will make the world a better place. And it's very kind of purposeful and, and focused. And I think, you know, one of the famous kind of quotes or, or really sentiments that I appreciate was by Arianna Huffington. And she has stated that she doesn't believe in work-life balance because it's not really about that. Because if you are truly aligned to what you do every day with your work, then you're not trying to compete with work and personal. It's all connected. And that really ultimately, I think, is what brings you know your life into balance. Um, and so you're able to work with all these great companies and different brands that it sounds that are you're really able to kind of move these things forward kind of through that work. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, if you don't mind sharing, of some of the brands maybe that you've worked with that have been purposeful and things that you've been able to then make an impact to really get that message out into the world. Yeah. I mean, the good news is we've worked with so many different companies. And over the course of my life, I, starting with Fidelity Investments, you know, Fidelity, I felt really good about the fact that we were helping people save for college. We were helping people save for their children's weddings and their retirement homes and things like that. And, you know, it was it was a really important component. And then, you know, we've worked we worked with Atkins back when I was at Powered and that's morphed and evolved and, you know, sort of the whole Weight Watchers movement, I do feel like it's it's important. But today, you know, I, I was thinking about this and wrote down some notes because it's it's um one that I wanted to make sure I was purposeful about. So Wenty, of course, you know, we've done a few cool things with you. I, I would argue the most cool was creating the make time video, which we should link to uh, on the the blog right up of this. Susan G. Komen uh, was one that we worked at. And there was a woman named Dorothy Jones, who was the CMO, who's still one of my favorite people. City of Hope, um, Easter Seals, Cancer Research Institute, you know, to name a few. And these are mostly their causes, right? They're, 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 um, organizations that are moving the world forward. We do work also with a lot of biotech and, and uh, pharma and things like that. Um, CVS Health, you know, I really appreciate what CVS Health has done and we are working with them right now. And, you know, they made a huge commitment a few years ago. I want to say it was five years ago to stop selling smoking products. And they knew that that was going to be a huge financial hit. We, we did not help them make that decision, by the way. We started working with them after. But um, they knew it was going to be a huge financial hit, and they did so anyway. And they realized that the biggest issue is if they wanted to be focused on health and offering health care in their facilities, that that was 
sending a mixed message to do that. And so I really respected the hell out of the fact that they made that choice. And, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to work with really smart companies like that. Yeah, that's a good example. Sometimes it's really tough to make some of those decisions. But when you truly are aligning your business and your business model with what your values are, that shows and it shows not just to your own employees, but it also shows out into the world. And I think that that's what I appreciate about you know great brands, great brands that have truly been able to communicate why they do what they do. Um, and in a way that uh, it kind of permeates throughout their whole organization. You know, great brands like Apple and Disney and REI and Patagonia, uh, all these brands I always think about, it's it's because they're really connecting with the why they do what they do. And sometimes that means they've tried certain things and it just really hasn't aligned. So they've had to, you know, make choices to then uh, move in different directions, which I think is really important. And sometimes they've been so clear on that why from the beginning. And that's the lens they've been able to really look through to move the whole business forward and, and continue that momentum because you have that North Star, which I think is really yeah, important. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I can't stress how important that is because the companies that really do, that's what attracts the best talent to you is when you have that purpose. And one, I just remembered, I, I've got it on my wall, but Junior Giants is someone I personally work with right now. And they're the nonprofit arm of the San Francisco Giants, although they don't actually get funded by them. But they uh, provide baseball and softball for free to uh, underserved communities and it's just such a great program and they also teach sort of important life lessons the people we work with there are just fabulous um sue and cassandra and they're just such passionate people and so i i didn't want to make i want to make sure i did not leave that one out and they truly embody that whole why which you're touching on which is critically important Mm -hmm. wow well it's interesting you're then talking about you know, some of the things that then people do and, and impacting other people's lives and, and teaching people. And, you know, I know that you've been very purposeful with your time and certainly I'm sure um, have learned a lot from others along the way because you give a lot of your time to others. It's one of the things I also appreciate about our you know professional and personal relationship. We've, you know, managed to certainly you know, start as strategic partners and then also had a, a traditional agent you know, kind client and agency relationship. Um, but I also consider you a friend. And I think I most appreciate that you do really take the time to share different things with others and learn so that you're really having this mutual beneficial relationship that you can grow from, uh, from each other. And so, um, I'm sure that you have mentored many people along the way in your path and would love for you to be able to also share maybe some of the people that have most influenced you that you've learned from that have made an impact in where you are today. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. And I do really cherish our relationship I think I'll start with that overall philosophy that when I do find someone that I care about, I do make sure that I invest in that relationship. And I have tried to maybe slow down a little bit so I'm not spread so thin that I'm able to go deeper with fewer. And that's been important to me. And, you know, one of the things that I have, I've got a couple of them up here, but people that have, you know, left me personal handwritten notes that I've mentored, sometimes knowingly, sometimes not knowingly. And those are the most rewarding things other than, you know, your kids or your wife or parents telling you that they love you. But um, it was a nice exercise to walk down this path, right, to think about who are the people that did mentor and inspire me. And I've done this a few times, but as of late, there's a guy named uh, Milo, 
and Milo is a coach for me. He's coached a number of us here, and he he's a game changer in terms of how I've looked at life. So I think one of the questions you asked in here, and maybe we'll get to it, is you know what changes have you made and sort of how things evolved over the last five years? He has been a guy that really has made me look at the world differently and think about it differently. I do stem from this place of karma, which is why I do really believe in giving back, even if you don't know why sometimes you're taking coffee with someone or meeting with people. But putting good back into the world is such an important thing. And it is why I do try through my photography and through my posts. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the one, but I have this one that I just sort of reactivated where I asked for show suggestions, right? And just to see everyone coming in and contributing, I think it's at like 150 or 200 comments now. And it's a great way for me to personally find shows. I know other people have said I'm watching this because I can get good recommendations on shows as well. I've done the same with music and others. But um, Milo was a critical one. My parents, you know, and I, I know that people always want to say their parents, but like my dad really took the time to spend time with me. We would play catch or shoot baskets almost every day after work. And now as a dad, I know just how exhausted you are sometimes when you come home. My mother, like she really was great in helping me with homework and she was the academic. They're both very smart people, but really helped invest in English and French and things like that. And then both of them instilled a love of cooking early days. Like I started cooking, I think when I was six or eight and I've done the same thing with our kids. Um, so critical there. I mentioned Miss Layton, who I disliked, but really respect the hell out of now. So Miss Layton, if you're ever listening, thumbs up to you. Um, Barry Liebert, who I mentioned, the CEO of Shared Insights. Barry was, I think any mentor can be challenging, right? So there were good and bad, but he taught me three things. You know, that was the, when you write emails, keep them pithy and keep them to three things. And then the power of thought leadership. He was really the guy that instilled that in me. And prior to that, Sean Belka, who is one of my very important mentors at Fidelity. He really helped me think about business in a broader sense. And he and I are still friends and he's, he's an amazing guy. It's a guy named Justin uh, Brooks, who I met when I was at Georgetown. I worked at the law school. Uh, There's a, a thing called the Street Law Clinic. Justin is an amazing individual because he runs a program called Exonerate and has been part of the California Innocence Project. Uh, fun fact, he was the guy that helped exonerate Brian Banks, who was a football player that was incorrectly incarcerated for murder. There's now a movie about it called Brian Banks. And in Justin is played by Greg Kinnear, which is kind of a cool thing. But he's a guy that has really inspired me by the good. Like, he could do anything. He's one of the smartest guys I know, but he just puts good into the world, right? And then um, lastly here, Bob Pearson. Uh, Bob is now more of an advisor of W2O, but he's a guy that really taught me how to do thought leadership well and really helped me double down on my passion for creating thought leadership. And then Jim Weiss, who is our CEO, um, when I met Jim, you know, he, I, I, I knew that I liked him, but I feared him a little bit. And over time, I've really got to know him better and just his constant drive and, you know, his ability to um, make relationships work and really sort of that stick to with people like he collects people even more so than I collect people and so those are just a few of the people that over the course of my life um, have really made a difference so I'm very grateful just thinking about them and thank you for asking that question. Mm. 
couple of things really stood out to me in that. And, you know, one was even just your mention on some of the things that you've posted in social and asking, you know, for input on podcasts. And I just wanted to thank you because one of the things I appreciate about some of the things that you post on social is that you ask for ask for acts of kindness. And it was one of my favorite posts of yours where you were just asking people to share acts of kindness. And I think when you do that and you put that out, it is sometimes that extra nudge that people need to remember to do that, to be present, to appreciate doing those small things for people because that is what matters and it makes not just, you know, that person feel good, but it also makes you feel good because you're able to impact, you know, that person's life and even if it's just a really small way. Um, and it's one of those things that I think probably has also um, really helped foster, you know, your relationships with people when you say you collect people. And, you know, a lot of what you just mentioned was around the nurturing of those relationships. Uh, you, you know, actually wrote an amazing article uh, a little while back that, you know, was about really reflecting on life and what's important in life and really boiling it down. And I really appreciate reading that. And a lot of what was in there was, you know, around the importance of relationships and how you've really nurtured those relationships. Um, one of my other favorite podcasters, you know, besides you, uh, is Tim Ferriss. And I appreciated that one time on one of his shows, he spoke about his relationship with his girlfriend and how they have this ritual that every week they sit down and at the end of the week they talk about what really worked for them and they want to see more of in how they're showing up for the other person and what would they change and I think that ritual is a really good example of a way that they're continuing to nurture their relationship um, so it kind of struck me that I would love to hear maybe some of the things that you do as rituals to nurture those relationships, whether they're professional or personal? Yeah, it's a good question. And what I liked, so first of all, thank you for what you said before that. Um, it was interesting because <clears throat> when you brought that up in the questions ahead of time, I went back and looked at this post. So I wrote it uh, on my 50th birthday or leading up to that. And it was sort of 50 things that I've discovered as we've gone along in some more playful than others. And I actually, this is a little foreshadowing, but Blair, who does do the editing of the podcast, did suggest that maybe I consider turning it into a book at some time, which I think I may do. So uh, the first one was a dummy's book. This is going to be my book. But going back and rereading it, you know, it does make me think of the things that are important to me. And I did touch, obviously, on the relationship piece, both with my lovely wife as well as with others and friends. And I think, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I have started to be a little more selective and, and going deeper with fewer people. Um, in the past, I was sort of an over-the-top extrovert, and so I get a lot of energy being with a lot of people. I'm realizing now it's like I like being with fewer people in a meaningful way. So when we do the Make Time event at Wenty and we're there with you and, you know, my wife and Paolo and Suzanne and, and a few of your friends and really getting to know each other well and hanging out or Lisa, you know, um, uh, I'm sorry, Amy, who's your, your Lisa, Amy, who's your boss, um, you know, who's just an amazing individual that cherishing those and really figuring out how can I make sure I'm investing in those and reminding myself to, to spend time with those people that's critical and that would, I would say, translates particularly to my relationship with my wife and that is not taking each other for granted. You know, she jokes 
that sometimes it's like I'm a good dad and I might be a good husband, but I'm not a good boyfriend, right? And what that means is I need to remember to invest in the relationship, take her out to dinner, you know, give her a little unexpected card or things like that that just demonstrate that I love her. And it's really important to to do that. And she does the same with me. And this is going to sound cliche, but really communication is the most important thing. You know, we've been together for, I think she and I have been married for uh, since 96, so 23 years, almost 24 years. And so what we learned after 10 years of sort of punching each other in the face was, you know, sitting down and talking about the things that were working and weren't working. So a little bit like what Tim Ferriss was advocating for and really trying to, to explain, say, look, I, I hear you. I, I'm hearing what you're saying to me and I want to try to like be better at it because I may or may not agree, but I realize if it's something that's causing you pain or causing you angst or it frustrates you, then, you know, unless it's something that I absolutely love to do, then I can evolve that. Right. And there are some where I've evolved faster and better than others. And she's done the same thing. And I think if you just keep doing that and our pastor said something important to us and they said, if you're always sort of looking at your relationship through your spouse's eyes and you're saying, what can I do to make this better? It is amazing at how you really do try to be more empathetic and you do try to be more thoughtful and as tired as you are, as frustrated as you are, just coming home and trying to be more present and, and really thinking about those things. And I would argue those those translate into everything. Like I try to do a better job with my brother and sister and my parents. You know, I try to call them. I think my mom doesn't like to call me because she's afraid that she's going to bother me. It's like, you're not bothering me. But I make a point of trying to call, you know, regularly so that I can be in touch and, and find out what's going on. And, you know, that's the thing that it's it's hard, right? It is hard to do those things, especially when you are tired and you've sort of let it left it all out on the table at work. But if it's worth doing, it's worth investing in. And so taking the time to do that, I've started writing letters to my daughter who's in college and she sort of tickled to death. And it was something I started, you know, we do with our youngest daughter when she goes to camp because it's the only way you can communicate. And so my 20 year old Olivia, when she first got the letter from me, she's like, oh my gosh, like this is such an unexpected surprise because it's not a medium we use that much anymore. And she's written back, you know, a few times. And so that's been fun. So anyway, um, those are just a few of the the ways that I sort of look at it and think about it and uh, make that time to really invest in relationships. And as you've done some of those things, even if they're the small things, like you said, even just writing a card and you commented on how you got a interesting response on that. Um, how has it made you feel? It's it well, it's like I was mentioning these thank you notes that you get when people leave you handwritten thank you notes. It makes me feel valued. It makes me feel good. And it's dumb little things like that. You know, I, I've been successful enough where I have enough money to buy most of the things that I want within reason. And so it's little things like that that you can't buy. It's the appreciation or the reciprocation. Um, it's almost funny, like around Christmas, I'll get gifts and I'm so not in the mindset of getting anything back. It's really how can we, you know, how can I get my wife something and my kids something so that they're happy? So it's really that unexpected little piece that comes back to you that really tickles you to death and kind of warms your the cockles of your heart. That, that's, I guess, what it really does for me. And that's what I love. I don't do it for that reason, but it's always nice when that's the outcome from it. Well, I think that that really speaks to make time, right? And a lot of the 
work that we've been able to to certainly do together but um it yeah it, let's let's talk about that we should we reference make time several times let's talk a little bit about the history of it and this was one of the things that definitely helped bring both of our companies closer together and something you and I share deep passion for and I think has transcended work and you know we've really talked a lot about this as friends. Sure. I mean, I think uh, before we even jump into that, one of the things I know you're kind of commenting, I just wanted to not, um, or I didn't want to fail to mention it was, you know, your relationship with your wife and, and Mel being, you know, she's a, a beautiful person and uh, how you, I know how you feel like you've hit the jackpot. Um, but one of the things even just how you have mentioned some of these tips or ways that you kind of show up in relationship and always kind of keep evolving and being present. I'm so curious if you've ever done love languages and know what each of your love languages are. <laughs> we haven't. You know, I think um, we, we've talked about it and thought about it, but we've never gone that far. Yeah. Um, we did actually read Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus early mm-hmm. days, and that actually had a profound impact on our relationship. Just understanding that we do speak different languages, mm-hmm. so different than the love languages piece. But um, yeah, so maybe we'll have to go down the love languages path at some point. Yeah. But I think it is interesting that it's always about understanding where the other person is feeling and it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily agree, but it's recognizing what they feel and then being able to really see it from their different perspectives. I'm nodding vigorously, yes. by the way. You can't see <laughs> yeah. that. Yes, you are. Um, and I think that, you know, those are the things that I also have really, you know, gone to um to understand and and learn about, you know, especially in in the past year. And you and I have certainly shared a bit, you know, personally on on what has happened in each of our lives and um, and gone through, you know, some deaths in the family. And, you know, I also had gone through the process of getting unmarried, um, but really understanding that it is so important to be present and to appreciate the small things and really nurturing those relationships. Um, And at the end of the day, I think really jumping to kind of make time... To me, that is a way that, yes, we have encapsulated um, a lot of who we are at Wente Vineyards underneath make time, but it's much bigger than that. It's about really making time for what matters for you and making time to connect. And I think what everything that you just shared uh, is just the proof point that when you do make time to connect with others, that it leads to greater happiness. And I think today we live in this society where we're we're constantly distracted by various different things, whether it's technology or we say yes to too many things. And all of that has really led us to be a very disconnected society. And we no longer are really forming these tribes. And I think that you know historically we are meant to live in a tribe, in community, and that's you know dates dates back to um, to historic times, and I think that today, because people are spread very thin, they haven't really um, embraced the power of that, and that's what's actually led to a lot of the anxiety and depression that's in our society today. And depression, yes, there's certainly chemical reasons for it, but the main reasons are when you're really disconnected. And there's been so many studies. There's a really interesting study that actually was about loneliness recently. And the amount of Americans, it actually stated that over half of Americans, if asked how many people know you well, over 50% of Americans said zero. Like, that is insane. 
And so really, I think on the flip side, there's all this research that also shows that when you connect, when you truly connect as humans, that is what leads to joy and happiness. It's not about the society of money and wealth and power that leads to happiness. It's, it's really about the simple things and the connections. And so I think for, for me, that is definitely you know, very personal. Um, I absolutely believe in connection as one of my own core values. And I have spent time to really reflect on what are my core values and have, have that be a filter for how I live my life. Um, but from a company perspective, I feel very fortunate to then also be able to work for a company that that is their value, that our reason for being and our vision for our company is to inspire people to make time for what matters. And the importance of that um, is, is great. And we recognize that you know we are a 136-year um, young winery, uh, five generations family-owned, and over every single generation, we have felt very passionate about bringing people together to connect. And fortunately, wine is inherently social, and it allows for you to take that time and space to sit down with a glass of wine, um, enjoy great conversation, you know, have great food that's paired with it, and and really just appreciate that time together. Um, and I think that the family over generations has also created different moments and experiences to allow for that connection, whether you're enjoying our glass of wine across the country or the globe, but also on our properties, as you mentioned in Livermore Valley, that we have amazing tasting experiences and you can enjoy music and do private events and you know, paired with amazing food or enjoy golf at our Greg Norman Design Golf Course. And all these are, you know, wine country moments to just sit back, enjoy and connect. And we've been able to also do that from an employee standpoint as a, as a way to really encourage our employees um, because we recognize the importance of happy employees is really going to also keep people, enrich their lives, um, both at work and at home, and hopefully again that that's you know, truly just all in balance. And we've you know, luckily created some moments for them to, to be able to do that, whether we've given some extra time off, which we call make time off, uh, to spend some extra time with friends and family, or have mixers and social events at the winery, or other events which you've been able to come to um, and enjoy as, as a make time you know, wine and music event. But all these things, I think, matter to, to kind of create um, and foster that deeper connection. Yeah, I mean, just to put the icing or the cherry on this, you know, it's like eating, right? When you eat a lot of processed or sort of, you know, food that's not good for you, you don't feel great afterward. It's when you have like a good, solid, well thought out, hearty meal. And I feel like that's, we got away from that for a while. And I think we're starting to drift back into that where people do realize that spending all time, all kinds of time on social or all kinds of time just binge watching things you know, there's a place for all of that, but making sure that you also carve out time to listen to music or walk your dog or read a book or, you know, hold hands and, you know, walk through the park or be with a friend or whatever it is. And that it's things like that that really do create that deep connection. And it just, there's no substitute for it. Totally. And, and so with that, we actually um, created a pledge. Uh, it's called the Make Time Pledge. And, uh, you know, encourage everyone to be able to go in and make that pledge. Uh, you just go to maketime.us. And 
when you do and you make that commitment to make time, we'll send you some tips, some tips on ways to, you know, um, think about how you can make time because it's exactly that, Erin. It's, it can be small. It can be going on that extra walk. Um, I personally have uh, definitely sent some cards like you have. I've written a um, card, for example, to my mom, and she was so taken by the sentiments and appreciated it so much that she also couldn't believe that I wrote a card in snail mail and didn't just text her <laughs> what I wanted to share with her. Um, but it's also inspired me to make more time for cooking and just invite some friends over, particularly during the week. I love doing it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights. It's a great way to start the week. You kind of are fueled with this new energy for the rest of the week. Um, and even just taking 10 minutes to call call friends. I've called family friends recently that I hadn't spoken to in a long time. And I mean, just, just the way that they respond to that engagement of, wow, Lisa, I'm so glad you called. You really made my day. Um, and that, you know, is feeding their soul and it's, it's feeding mine. So well, wh- what it, about you? What, well, it's what funny, are some yeah, other along those lines. Done? So, yeah. you know, just a little dumb, but meaningful thing that I've tried to start doing is around birthdays. You know, I love the fact that Facebook tells us that it's people's birthdays. I hate the fact that a lot of people have started to mail it in. So, you know, I've actually thought a lot about how I reply on my birthday to people that come in. And so I'll sort of give a like to anybody that's wished me a happy birthday because I appreciate that they at least did it. But people that go beyond just the standard happy birthday, you know, so I've turned that around and when I wish people happy birthday, I try to be more meaningful. So either I won't say anything at all or I'll try to say something a little bit more personal. And then for people that really do matter to me, I've started sending either little videos through messenger or text um, or I'll you know send a picture of me like sort of thanking or wishing them a happy birthday. But I, I've gotten that same reaction from people like, wow, that was really thoughtful. And it's like it takes me 15 seconds to do. But it's going beyond and really demonstrating and trying to think outside the box. And I guess that's something that I try to constantly do is evolve and not sort of fall back on old habits because it's really easy to do. And to bring this back to the make time, one of the things that I like about what you do with the pledge is sending those tips and and even just having the reminder so that every day, you know, you think to do that. Um, it's critical, you know, and I'll just say one last thing because – it's not really related, but it's sort of related. One of the other things I'm trying to do is make more time for news. I gave up sort of reading or watching TV news a long time ago. I've listened to NPR. Um, part of the problem here, though, is is that by the time I drive into work, it's kind of past a lot of the news cycle. And so Spotify does a little four-minute blurb every morning from NPR that kind of gives you the best of. And then Katie Couric does a newsletter that I've started to read religiously. It's called Wake Up Call. And it's really, it takes about three minutes to read it. It's a nice balance of like, here are the most important things in the news with links to stories. And then some fun things too about maybe a celebrity or a book or things that she's doing. And now in that seven minutes, I feel like I get almost everything I need from a news perspective along with I have some other filters through social and some groups that I belong to that I get important news. But it's making the time and then having that sort of built-in mechanism to really keep you abreast of what's going on. Yep. I definitely agree. I've been so much more selective with my media as well. Um, But 
reading, you know, is is certainly, you know, continued to be very important. And I know that you are, like you said, you know, an avid reader as well. And so uh, maybe, you know, maybe we'll kind of transition to some of your, you know, favorite questions that I know you typically ask um, uh, people that you're interviewing, but um, I might switch them up a little bit. Um, but um, but let's talk a little bit about about books and, you know, maybe also on kind of this this theme on make time, I'm sure. But, um, you know, you've personally made time to write, um, but also, you know, in terms of some of the books, maybe you can share, you know, one book, maybe personally and one professionally that, um, you know, really has influenced, you know, your life um, that you'd really want people to know about. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm actually going to do this is a little bit of like something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. So Celestine Prophecy, as I was reading this question, um, I, I don't know as though it would speak to me today, but I remember I was in a bit of a funk because I mentioned the girlfriend that I had that sort of distracted me from finishing my Russian degree. And I remember I was reading Celestine Prophecy and was up on the roof of my condo in Boston in the um, Beacon Hill one night at like three o'clock in the morning. And I was really having kind of this existential crisis. And it just, that book helped align me in a new way that just sort of, it's a very spiritual book. And it spoke to me in a way that helped me kind of get my shit together, right? And to stop worrying about what everyone else thought and to not let the past define me and to really do much more looking forward. So that was a big one back then. And then just recently, so this is something new, I just literally yesterday finished this book called Educated by Tara Westover. Um, the, the short version of it is she's a woman that grew up with uh, a family that were basically survivalists living in the hills of Idaho. Mormon family, although like uber religious. And she grew up not really being educated at all. They air quotes, homeschooled her, but not really. And she went on to become like this amazing scholar and super brilliant and went through all of this craziness. And I won't spoil it for you, but I highly recommend, my wife turned me on to it. I highly recommend it because it is one of the craziest, but well, most well-written books you'll ever read. And then lastly, because you know we were talking about the way you phrased it, which I really liked in the questions, was a book that you, you've gifted most in business. So I mentioned Bob Pearson. Bob wrote a book called Pre-Commerce. And the whole thesis of Pre-Commerce was, and we actually have an event at South by Southwest now that we call Pre-Commerce. You're going to be there, I think, speaking this year. Um, the idea was the importance of all the things that lead up to you buying something. And this was the phenomena of social media. And it's ironic because I'm actually having drinks tonight with Jim and this guy named Joseph Jaffe, who I worked with, who wrote a book called Flip the Funnel. And the whole idea behind that was get really focused on surprising and delighting your clients and they'll write amazing reviews and tell other people about it. Bob's thesis was that plus make the experience up front amazing, both from like creating a surround sound experience and all the different ways you could do that, um, all the ways you could focus on the 99% of the time people weren't buying something from you. How could you put good thought leadership and content in front of them? How could you, you know, activate them and make them feel good and smart about what they wanted to do? And then if they started to sort of go down the funnel, you are helping them strategically move down the funnel. So that's a book that really spoke to me and still speaks to me. And it was one of the most profound books that I think I've ever thought about. And so I and we have probably given away thousands of copies of that book. 
Uh, but it's one that's still on my bookshelf and one that I would still, you know, to this day suggest that people take a look at because it's such a, a critically important book. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. Um, I definitely need to t- check out. I definitely know pre-commerce, but I have not personally read it. And Educated is absolutely going to be I know you'll my, love it. So my you reading have to list check it out. for sure. Yes. I recently finished um, four purposes by Dan Millman, which I so appreciated. Um, and it was more about, you know, really kind of thinking a lot of stuff we've been talking about thinking about, you know, what truly matters to you and what you're calling and making sure that that is, you know, kind of aligned in, in your life, but then also essentialism, um, which if you hadn't read, I'm going to give you that suggestion. Yeah, um, I've actually read yeah. parts of that and I really liked it. And that that's a good reminder to go back to it. Yeah. By Greg McCown. And, and, and it's just, you know, those things of not, um, really just thinking about what's most important, right? And not about time management, you know, and productivity. It's really about that filter of what you focus your time on and that should be what matters most. And that's what's ultimately also going to impact, you know, your your life and your business. Um, so well, the, pre- yeah. the premise is like you just can't do Everything. lots of things well. Yeah. So if you do just focus on two or three things it's amazing and I, I think I read like the first 50 pages and I really did like it but I do need to go back I, I may even have a copy on my shelf here <laughs> um, and then one of the other questions that I know you typically ask um, which some we talked about today a lot but um, is there anything else that you have not shared about yourself that your listeners don't know that you would really like them to know well, I don't know about really would like them to know but I thought about <laughs> this because I think I do live my life out there in the world pretty publicly. Um, So one that came to me that was sort of a funny one that I think only a few people know, and I've told my kids this recently and it kind of tickled them. Um, I have sat on top of the Sitco sign in Boston that is the iconic Sitco sign that if you've ever been to Fenway Park or you've seen shots of Fenway Park where the Red Sox play, um, it's pretty high up. It is not easy to get to, and I'm not even sure you could do that today. It was very cool to do that, but highly frowned upon as well. So I did this back in my early days, Um, not something I would necessarily do today, but that was kind of one of those fun, like if you've ever been to Boston or if you're from Boston, you can truly appreciate what that means. So that's my something that I'm willing to share that uh, people probably don't know about me. Very fun fact. (laughs) And, And then your last typical question is typically... You ask if you're stranded on a deserted island and you had one album, what would it be? What would you bring with you? And I'm going to switch it up only because I know that you have answered this question a little bit sometimes on some of your other shows. Um, Beatles White Album and Pink Floyd The Wall. uh, Those are a couple. Definitely a couple of them. Um, So maybe on the theme of make time, we'll instead ask if you were stranded on a deserted island with one person. Who would it be? And it can't be immediate family. So someone that listeners would would know. Yeah, we uh, smartly ruled out the immediate family. <laughs> so no one felt left out. Um, the, the one that I think we talked about before, which is really still the one is uh, Cleopatra. And part of why I picked her was because uh, there are lots of people that I'd love to spend time with. Barack Obama would be one. Um, and I actually am going to try to get him on the podcast at some point in time. I've Started to inch my way in that direction. But the reason that I'm intrigued with her is I think she's still so not well known. Like people know her name and they know that she was a queen in Egypt and she was important. But 
think about, you know, I'm someone that's a huge believer in uh, women empowerment and making sure that, you know, the whole diversity and inclusion piece is really sort of upheld and respected. She was one of the first women leaders in a time where like that wasn't even remotely on people's radar. And I've also always been fascinated with Egyptian culture. I think that we we are a little bit too self-congratulatory in today's society thinking that, you know, we invented everything and my son Benjamin was talking the other day about the fact that, you know, the pyramids and how the way they're aligned, it's like this perfect alignment in this sort of global formulaic way and I haven't read it but it doesn't surprise me because they were such amazing mathematicians and the things they were able to do and such amazing engineers and you think about this happening two three five thousand years ago and so back to Cleopatra just being this powerful woman in a time where women were not upheld as you know queens or princesses um, or leaders in a time where there were a lot of inventions and a lot of things and a lot of you know big thinkers that I think we sort of forgot and we know and give due to, but we don't really give them as much reverence as I think they deserve. So for all those reasons, I would love to be able to you know sit down and spend time and really talk to her about how she got there and what it was like and you know what it was like being a, a, a woman leader at a time where no one really thought about that. Very cool answer, and I know how much you care about diversity. Um, so I understand why, you know, Cleopatra was your choice there. And, um, one of my, you know, favorite podcasts of yours too, was a recent one that you had of, um, Diana Cap, who was the author of, um, girls who run the world. And I think, you know, that one spoke to me because certainly it was about women empowerment, um, and diversity. Um, but it was, it was even more than that too. I think it was about really just standing for something, standing for something in this world and really trying to inspire others around that. And I think that, you know, that's what I also appreciate about um, people and companies and brands that have been able to do that. Um, you know, she even mentioned in that, um, you know, in, in your talk with her around, you know, always. And I think, you know, that's another great brand. You know, we didn't even get to, to talk about that today uh, until now. But that really, you know, the work that they did around like a girl um, to really, truly empower women and to, you know, build girls confidence um, was was impressive. And it's it's about, you know, really taking the opportunity sometimes of these platforms to, you know, inspire people to, to really make global change. And I think, you know, with all of us, we kind of can recognize that, you know, sometimes it just starts first with yourself. And, you know, you start there, and then you start in your home. And then, you know, then you can kind of hopefully um, have that build and grow in your community, and then ultimately make impact to the world. So yeah, well, I mean, and that is one of the nice things about this show is that I do get to speak to some amazing people. So leading up to this one, I did have uh, an interview that I did with Dr. Michael Lomax, who's the CEO of the United Negro College Fund, and just thinking about the billions that that organization has raised and the number of kids they've you know put to, put into college, and then going live today is uh, with three of the students, two of the founders, and a board member of March for Our Lives. Um, so the amazing students that put together that whole rally and the movement around the mass shootings and now working hard to prevent um, gun violence. Uh, and then I'm also going to a little foreshadowing here. I don't know if it'll be before or after this episode, but sitting down with three of my colleagues that just went to this amazing uh, women you know, empowerment sort of conference and talking about the lessons learned and the, and the key takeaways from that. So I really do feel like I'm blessed because our company cares about this. My CEO personally really has spent a lot of time 
pushing and caring about this. I've really taken up the mantle and want to make sure I am doing the right thing and everything that I possibly can to move it forward because I know that I've been blessed to grow up and, you know, I've had my my hardships, but as a 51-year-old white male, certainly not as many as a lot of other folks. So um, to the degree we can use this platform for that, I, I love to be able to do that. Well, I think that um, we've had a great conversation. I, I appreciate you making the time, Aaron, uh, to do this. And, you know, and, and I know that, you know, with many of, of all the different things that you could be doing. And, you know, so, you know, like we always say, you know, time is a choice. And, you know, it's it's how you spend your time and what you prioritize. And um, and I think, you know, what what I would kind of leave your audience is, is maybe just that around, um, you know, don't try try actually saying, you know, um, I don't have time Just say it's not a priority. And I think that that's the biggest thing that people always say, um, I don't know. I just like, I can't fit it in. I don't have the time. Actually time is a choice and like take control of it. And you've made, you know, I think incredible choices of how you've spent your time, um, to impact, you know, your life, your family's life, um, your employee's life, um, and you know, the, the companies and the brands that you work with. So I've appreciated our partnership in that. And, you know, I think that, um, just kind of leave the audience with, you know, thank you. Uh, thank you again for making the time. Uh, we've been, you know, kind of speaking for the past close to an hour now. Well over an hour. <laughs> First show that's ever touched an hour. Yep. So. With Aaron Strout, who is the CMO of W2O and the host of this What to Know podcast. We'll leave it at that to have your audience really just enjoy learning more about you and, and your story. So thank you. Well, thank you, Lisa. And so Lisa Kalfas, who's the head storyteller and VP of marketing of Wenty. Um, this has been a true pleasure and the time flew by. I didn't even know that we had gone so long. So thanks everyone for listening. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.